We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. And welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast, where we look at the many films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Grigg, a foremost villainy expert. And today we're talking about Best Villain, 1998. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, uh... Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, this definitely the most, like, spread out I've watched movies, um, because I finished, like, I think I finished The Devil's Advocate, like, a week ago, and then I finished, like, the lot, like, three of our movies yesterday, um, <laughs> uh, but I'm very, I'm very excited to talk about all of these. I definitely went into this going, like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm gonna have much to say about all of these, just given what they are, um, but I ended up like I ended up like really not only enjoying myself, but like walking away with some like decent things to decent things like written down about it. Yeah, this is a pretty strong movie year. Like, not to give away my rankings, but when your weakest film still has like Harrison Ford pushing someone out of an airplane, like it's you're in good hands. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just... exactly. Oh man, yeah, um, yeah. It is uh, 1998, um, the year I was born. Um, so this would have been, this was sort of, I, I, you know, I'm happy. I think I got a really good, like, flagship year. Um, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, hard to ar- argue with, like, kind of the, the films that got, got nominated there. This, of course, was the best kiss year where the wedding singer beat out Titanic. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's. I guess it's not super fair, but like I don't really remember the wedding singer. Kiss. Was it was it on the plane? Is that the wedding singer? No, kiss? no, it's in the house where it's just like, <laughs> okay, you gotta practice your kissing on him. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, the you gave <laughs> it to wedding singer. Like, <laughs> I I'll trust my I'll trust my past self. Um, it's also like not fair because I literally watched Titanic like two days ago. Yeah. So like, of course, I'm gonna remember that one. And um, I didn't fight you on it because I'm like, well, it's like 80 minutes long. This is like a really long episode. So <laughs> now if we did 80 minutes, like we go, is something wrong? Like just... <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, I might need to revisit that. But like, um, yeah, because like Titanic, I think. Um, well, I guess we'll get into it a little bit more when we start talking about it more in depth. But like. I think Titanic, because I'd seen it, like, quasi-recently. Um, I just started, like, passively watching it, like, on my other monitor for about 30 minutes. And then I was like, I think I need to start, like, actively watching this. Um, and I ended up walking away, like, with, a, I feel like, a much a much better appreciation than the first time around. Um, I don't know if I would challenge my previous kiss thing, but, like, 
I don't remember where I ranked it with the movies, but like I definitely watched. I think this is kind of like the 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 drive effect where I feel like it's a movie I'm probably going to enjoy more and more on subsequent watches. You might be the only person to ever compare Titanic to Drive. <laughs> Just... I'm glad. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I'll say I didn't actually watch Titanic this time just because I'm a student. It's a very long movie. I've seen it three times in the past two years. And I am very, like, familiar with that villain performance in that. So I'm like, I okay, I can, like, just skip it a fourth time. But I was tempted because I do love Titanic. Um, yeah. Actually, I, yeah. I think this is the first year where I have seen all of these movies before. Um, Some of them more recently than others, like Austin Powers... I I thought I had seen it recently and then like I went to log it in letterbox and I just had enough nothing so it must have been before that but I, I mean oh I don't want to spoil my awesome powers thoughts but I wound up liking it a lot more like this time than I did then yeah um <laughs> I don't know um if you have the wikipedia page open um but it's kind just kind of a funny little thing based off recent events. Um, best fight went to um, Will Smith versus versus um, Cockroach and Men in Black, um, but another nominee for that is GI Jane, um, <laughs> which I think is Jesus a bit... <laughs> what a for for those. Um, it'll probably be out of the loop by the time this episode comes out. But for those, who I, yeah, who've... I have no idea. What, yeah, we're recording this two days after the Oscars, where <laughs> Will Smith punched Chris Rock yeah. while slapped hit for, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, for a GI Jane joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's just it's what a what a funny thing to see. It's just um, what a, what a, what a coincidence, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I had something else, but it's completely gone now. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I also saw I saw the Fifth Element recently. Um, and I, I saw that was also this year. Um, I don't know if I love that movie. It's definitely way different than I thought it was. Um, I thought it was going to be like a sort of like gritty sci-fi thing, but like half of it's just on like a luxurious cruise. Um, spoilers <laughs> to those who have not seen the fifth element yet. Um, I was, I was like shocked. Um, <laughs> wow, I watched The Fifth Element for the first time myself. Just... <laughs> yeah, and like, I don't know. It's it's tough to say, considering I was watching it like with friends and like also like intermittently playing pool. Um, but definitely a different movie than what I thought it was. Yeah, um... <laughs> I'll, I'll say when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, if I knew this was what The Fifth Element was, I would have watched it years ago. Like... Yeah, it might be something I need to give a rewatch, but I just remember like, I yeah I definitely all I remember from the Fifth Element was that like it had a beginning era that the beginning of the movie sort of kind of looks like those parts in the Star Wars prequels with like the car chases, um, with like sort of like the the gross sort of like dingy like neo uh like poverty areas, um, I it was so weird that just halfway through the movie it just becomes about. A big cruise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they, they had to get there. Um, but yeah, we should probably get into it. So, yeah. yeah. I guess it does, I mean, Fifth Element does tie in. 
It's very funny that it just credits it as Mila Jovovich versus Aliens. Um, Yeah, oh god, what were their names? They were named like the Grogers, Grog, I can't remember. I'll put it in post. Um, Sound like the guy who was like coming up with these MTV nominees. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess he couldn't remember either. Um, But yeah, they had like, they had like, like kind of pig faces. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah. um yeah no, we can yeah. kind of uh we can kind of yeah, get into it yeah so the 1998 mtv movie awards were held on saturday may 30th 1998 um they were hosted by samuel l jackson probably coming off of pulp fiction or something like that best villain was presented by hever graham and robert downey jr just huh that's Hmm. I wonder if that's how she got the role in Austin Powers 2. They saw her present and went, hmm. This might might work. Yeah. Because sometimes I see these things, I'm like, oh, they must have done a movie together or something. Because it's like, Best Kiss was Joey Lauren Adams. No, not Best Kiss. Best Fight was Joey Lauren Adams and Billy Zane. Like, what did they do together? (laughs) Besides B... In Best Kiss movies. No, Best Kiss was Jennifer Love Hewitt and Marlon Wayans. Yeah, 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 that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, this also is another year where there's, like, a surprising amount of overlap between um, Best Movie and uh, and Best uh, Villain. More so than this, this same year with Kisses. Um with Men in Black still being something that uh, best movie nominee that has not been touched by this or not uh, has not been touched by this podcast yet. Probably a good thing. Um, God, if we were like <laughs> recording this episode two days after the Oscars and we had to talk about Men in Black, I'd be like, Ben, this is what we're releasing this week. Forget the order. Like, yeah, forget just editing. Like... We'll just, we got to capitalize in on like, yeah. On all this, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. Without uh, without further uh, ado, unless there's any more any more things about 1998 that, that come to mind. Yeah, I went to see if Robert Downey Jr. is in Boogie Nights, because that's what Hover Graham was in the year before, and he isn't, but his dad was. Ah. <laughs> so maybe that... <laughs> Maybe that was like the yeah thing, or oh wait, or she probably just did. Um, no, no, they did two girls and a guy, and that makes much more sense. Okay, I'm like, wait, people can be in more than one movie a year. Think I cracked. But yeah, without oh, is this the last year they do Lifetime Achievement Award? I guess we talked about that last. Last time, yep, it's where they gave it to Clint Howard, and the best new filmmaker went to Peter Cataneo, um, who is still most well known for directing the movie that got him best new filmmaker. <laughs> he's a he's a one one hit wonder. <laughs> one hit wonder. Sorry to all you lucky break fans out there. Um, I was just looking at other stuff he did. Um, yeah, or the A word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to alienate half our fan base. 
oh yeah oh okay the a word is autism i'm like ah oh, better be autism so, <laughs> i have it it's fine um but without further ado for best villain 1998 the nominees are Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, Face Off. Gary Oldman, Air Force One. Al Pacino, The Devil's Advocate. Billy Zane, Titanic. And the winner, Mike Myers, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Groovy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first but not last time we are going to be covering Austin Powers um, on this list. Um, yeah, there are a few big franchises that we're going to cover essentially in full, or mostly in full, but like Austin Pow- Austin Powers is kind of the first of that, and I believe the only one to have won twice. <laughs> oh no, Tom Felton won twice for Harry Potter, but... Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Austin Still. Powers is, it's it's kind of like our Twilight, um, <laughs> except uh, the final installment does not get snubbed, I guess. I mean, it doesn't win. It doesn't. It doesn't win. Um, that's. I wonder how I'm gonna feel about that because I feel like, um, I guess we're getting into it right now. I feel like as I love, I I really do love these movies. Um, I do have a couple. I do, I think they got a couple problems with with them. Um, and this isn't really a problem, but this first movie definitely doesn't you i feel like dr evil is not at his best in this movie just because it's like his introduction um he doesn't sing a a silly song like he does in the other two um so it's really weird that this one is when where he where he won especially given kind of the some of the competition this year um because it's one of those things where like it makes sense in hindsight because of how iconic he is but for him to win it with this all this new movie coming out, Austin Powers, it's it's very strange why it would have won. In my eyes, at least. Yeah, I similarly had a thing where, because obviously Mike Myers is very funny in these movies. He's good as Austin. He's good as like Doctor Evil. But Doctor Evil also is just not in this as much as I would have assumed he was. It's like he shows he shows up. Obviously, he has some very memorable scenes. It's the the bit where he's like, "Okay, we'll hold a ransom for one million dollars," and everyone starts laughing because that's not a lot of money anymore. It's like really good every time, but yeah, there's also... but like a lot of it is just Austin Powers adjusting to like the present. Yeah, it's yeah, it's in like I feel like there's like a lot of like. Um... Yeah, I feel like in this movie, he's just, he's just, again, just not in it very much. Um, but when he, he is really funny, though, I also like the bit. I'm not, maybe this movie stole it from something else, but Bojack definitely stole it from this, where they're talking about evil plans, and it's like, we will pretend, we will frame, like, the royal family that there's been, like, an affair going on, and that just had happened. Um, <laughs> and then Bojack has, like, a very similar joke with, um, Oh, what was her? What was the name of the of the owl? Um, um oh Wanda. Yeah, or she's sort of like pitching things that already happened. Um, no, that's bad. I think they're both really funny jokes, but yeah, like I think just the main thing is that he's just not in this quite a bit, and it it's weird because it makes sense like retroactively, 
Like, I think holistically, I think Dr. Evil is a better villain than all of the ones on this list, given his entire, like, all three movies, which is, like, what my brain has to work with, because this is, Austin Powers is one of the only movie franchises that I feel like, that I've had, like, an ex- extensive experience with. Um, but it's it's weird to see how, how limited he's in the first movie, and how many, it's going to be fun to see how many tropes that I remember about this franchise are actually introduced in the sequel. Um, Because there were certain, like, bits or, like, recurring gags I was waiting for that just never happened. Yeah. Yeah, like, definitely this feels like one of those franchises like Terminator where a lot of things people associate with this franchise, like Mini-Me, Fat Bastard, is all, like, stuff from the second one. And... And third one, I one I believe too. Though I have not watched the third one yet. Um, oh, you have you never seen the third one? No, I. Oh. Yeah. So so up until like a couple weeks ago, when I watched the Spy Who Shagged Me, I had only ever seen this one before. Like I had watched it, and I'm like, ah, this is good, but I think I get it. <laughs> and then I'm um, for this podcast. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll have to watch the them all now. And I threw it on again, and everything was just hitting a lot better this time. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe it was just the time of day I watched it. Maybe I was more, yeah, more ready for it. Like, them to go, oh, and this is random task. And you're like, okay, it's odd job. And just. Yeah. <laughs> no, 100%. Um, I feel like with the Austin Powers movie, I think for the longest time, it was kind of like being like, oh, I think the third one's like the worst one. Um, but I think over time. Um, given I don't have my my finger on the pulse of the Austin Powers fan base as I once did, but I feel like it is it has become one of those franchises where there's like there's no clear winner. Um, they all have like their strengths and they all have like their weaknesses. Like the the first movie is like is less like bombastic and and cartoony, but it ends up feeling like a a little bit more grounded and is able to tell like a couple more like more subtle jokes than I feel like the later ones get to um yeah and like i I, but i'm really i'm really happy you get to this is a rare occasion on this podcast where um you are the person experiencing a movie franchise for the first time and i i am a seasoned veteran yeah i mean this one i had seen before but yeah it's a fun reversal where you get to know more I'm now reading a thing where apparently in 2014, Daniel Craig said it was impossible to do kind of lighter James Bond films or gag stuff because Austin Powers made fun of it so much. The exact quote was, we had to destroy the myth because Mike Myers fucked us. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's so, it's weird that like, I'm glad that earlier in this podcast, we got to like cover like an actual Bond movie. Um, Cause yeah, like, cause so much of like the stuff in Austin Powers, um, so much of like James Bond just becomes funny in like certain spy movies, um, just because like they don't really need to do much to make them funny, just because they're kind of ridiculous on their own. Yeah, they just kind of do their own thing. I'll say I didn't notice in the second one where I'm like, okay, we're kind of moving away and doing more bits that are just like stuff or just, you know, general like pop culture stuff, which often happens with franchises like this eventually, like the scary movies eventually just becoming another 
spoof machine for for things. It was weird seeing all those movies kind of like converge in on themselves, like uh, like all those parody movies, because they ended up just being like whatever was popular at the time. I also, my friend Ian told me this while we were watching it, but I just wanted to check the Wikipedia page to make sure I wasn't spreading information. The person who played um, Random Task is like a convicted felon, like he, he killed somebody in real life. Um Oh, that's boy. insane. I think it was in like 2011. I won't go super into it, um, but I just that's it's so weird because he is so menacing in this movie, and it's just what a what a strange turn of events. Um, Prior to his 2008 arrest, he was best known for his appearance in the 1997 film. What a sentence! Oh, <laughs> uh, but like. Like, he did a good job. It's a good bit. Like, it's a good, like, parody. But, um, yeah, like, we we often cover problematic figures, but I think Joe's son takes the cake um, by a, by a, I want to say, probably a wide margin. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, yeah, we're not going to, like, say what crimes are worse, but, yeah, he's definitely up there. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. I would not have guessed, guessed that. Yeah, I, I honestly, now that you mention it, I don't know how Ian knew this either. I might have to implore that about him because I don't know how you would know that about anybody. Um, I guess if you just did a lot of like Wikipedia. Yeah, um, you wanted to look up on the on the the Austinpedia about your favorite side character that appears in the first movie. Um. <laughs> oh. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess, um, I guess, what were uh, what is what is your sort of I guess your thoughts on the first Austin Powers movie? Yeah, so this was a movie as I mentioned that I'd watched it a few years ago, and I'm like, yeah, I I get it. Like, my Mike Myers, another one of those actors with a pretty defined thing. Um, he has a, I mean, a bit more range, but it's still it's like. He'll do a lot of different characters. They'll have like silly voices and they'll yeah and they'll just be goofy and Yeah, so maybe I just wasn't like it in the mood, but watching here I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is really good. I think the I think the commentary is there. Just the basic premise of him just being this sixties free love guy who gets sent to like the nineties and the the whole idea where they're like, Well, we have to go to a time when like Earth's more conservative, and, like, when everyone, when, like, the idea that the 90s are now just the perfect time for this old old supervillain to just pop back up is really good. The idea that Dr. Evil does not have to do any of this because the business that his henchman's been running while he's been frozen is just, just, like, a successful business. Like, yeah, <laughs> which leads to probably one of, like, my favorite one of my favorite bits in the movie when like they're showing like the little like map with all like his businesses when his his like his number two named number two, um sort of like goes like we have like a oil we have like an oil refinery off the off this coast and and like a petroleum plant here and 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 um and a factory in Wisconsin that makes little model factories. <laughs> it's just yeah. I feel yeah I feel like. I, maybe maybe I'm completely this is complete conjecture, but I feel like little soft jokes like that 
are much less frequent in the sequels in place for like sort of bigger, more over the top stuff, which is like whether that's better or worse is really subjective. But I feel like that's 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 one of the reasons why I think this first one is so is so um, so good in that respect. Yeah. Also, it's like kind of Robert Wagner does a really good job as number two. And I mean. Rob Lowe is fine when he's just playing young number two in the second one, but you do kind of like, it's something where you're like, oh, so Rob Lowe's going to do a lot of funny stuff. It's like, no, no, he's just going to kind of just stand there and be Rob Lowe. Where this guy, I think it gets a lot more of just being sort of the straight man to like Dr. Evil's antics. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Will Ferrell playing the character of Mustafa and something where you're like, okay, maybe this would not happen nowadays, but. <laughs> I do think it's very funny that they do the same joke where he essentially dies twice, but it just takes forever. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. really, it's really good. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh. Seth Green as Scott Evil, another like really good bit, just that he has his son who's like a Gen X teenager. <laughs> that's just like what's nothing to do with like and he just sort of he's some of like i think seth green does a really good job at portraying this character that like like didn't need as much characterization as i feel like he like i don't know whether intentionally or unintentionally put into him but like he like he's like one of my favorites in like the whole the whole trilogy yeah it's like he resents his dad also he just seems better at like being evil uh I know he does in the second one, I think it's one too, where it's like, wait, so why don't you just, like, oh yeah, when he's like, why don't you just go back to where he is and, ki- and like, kill him? And they're like, no, no, that that's crazy, we just have to do the whole thing, like. Yeah, exactly, like, dude, do you not understand how this works? Uh, yeah. It's so, it's so good. Um, I think something, I, yeah, something I've definitely, like, come to uh, realize over the years is that, like, I like the Austin Powers movies a lot. Um, but not as much as I like kind of love the Austin Powers character. Um, cause it's, just, I don't know what it is. Like I was watching with my friend Ian and we were just like cackling when just for no reason, just cause it just whenever he'd go like, Oh yeah, baby. He's just funny. He's just a funny, like persona. It's like, obviously, the bit of, he he's from the 60s where, like, sexism just kind of runs rampant, and he comes to the 90s where it's less acceptable, obviously, maybe not, it's not aged gracefully, but he makes a lot of it work, where stuff like the, the penis pump that he swears isn't his, and then there's just all this stuff, he's like, no, that's not mine, that's not mine. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> also, like... Uh, what like I, I'll probably gush about this every time. I love his like theme song. Um, it's just there's something so funny about just that. I don't know what it is, but that just cracks me up. The I, I think it uh, will be. I think it has like a name. I don't know if it's like something that um, it's something that's like, I don't know if it was like made for this or maybe it's something from like a really long time ago. Um, oh, what would it be? I just have to Google like Austin Powers song, um, but just even like every, I feel like this is, um, I feel like the Austin Powers series is like it's, it's could so easily like you look at something like Ace Ventura, and like as much as I feel like you could like tweak those movies to be good, I feel like the Ace Ventura character just isn't that good, whereas the Austin Powers character is great. Um, 
And I feel like that just, I think that's what strengthened this, like, to be, like, a really, like, a, a surprisingly strong trilogy. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll see. Like, I, I do enjoy all the movies. I'll say I was surprised to find that the premise of both sequels is he just travels through a different decade, where I'm like, oh, is that what people thought, like, the j- appeal of the franchise was? It's like, what will he do when he's back in the 60s? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, the song is um, uh, Soul Bossa Nova. Um, just what a what a fun theme. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really fun theme. Yeah. The, yeah. the music is really good in at least both of the ones I've seen. Of course, the sequel does like the parody of a James Bond villain theme of Dr. Evil. Um, and... Yeah. Yeah, no, um... But we, we sort of, I think we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, um, to sort of, like, shift into, like, the villain. Um, yeah, I feel like he's, like, he's, like, really funny. And, like, um, the thing about the Austin Powers movies is that, like, when I watched them, um, like, they weren't, like, parodies to me, just because of, like, the age I was. They were just, like, movies, um... But I feel like, yeah, Dr. Evil is, like, this, like, parody and also just, like, a fun character is really good. Um, just, like, he's... I feel like Mike Myers playing, like, two, in, like, intentionally polar opposite characters and just how he's, like, he's just so, like, stiff and, like, it, there's, like, the one scene where, like, he wants to, like, where he meets Scott and he wants to give him, like, a hug um, are just, like, so, like, there's so much good, like, physical comedy going on there. Oh yeah, like Mike Myers definitely is giving a lot into these performances. His his Doctor Evil is like we've talked about like his awesome performance, but you're right the the stiffness of the character is funny. The the as much as I kind of said his thing is so yeah he does his characters and he does like funny voices. The Doctor Evil voice is just really funny. Like yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. And I, um, yeah. I think the one thing, and, like, the problem is that, that, like, I feel like, um, Dr. Evil, um, as, like, a villain, I feel like, um, like, his villainy is definitely not, like, his forefront. His forefront is his comedy. And I feel like, um, one of, like, the big things, and I wonder if this is going to be more apparent in the second and third one, because I haven't seen those two really recently. Um, yeah, because something that's really hard to catch is, like, the timing of jokes. Because um, I feel like in, in the first one, it really sucks um, when they commit really hard to a joke that, like, didn't land. Um, and then just, like, stall on it for so long. Because, like, like, a really good, like... 10 minute joke can feel like a minute but like a poorly executed like 30 second joke can feel like an hour um which is like really unfortunate i feel like sometimes um this is like a personal bias but like i love brevity in my comedy um i love like whizzing by things (laughs) um uh and i feel like sometimes like this movie just focuses on jokes that just like it's really, it's really unfortunate, because um, I feel like there are so many, like, in the, I feel like all, I feel like almost all of the jokes in this movie that don't work for me could have worked if they were just a little bit tighter. 
yeah i would i would agree like uh i appreciate comedy in all forms i appreciate a good quick joke i appreciate good jokes to drag on forever like if they're funny yeah definitely when the jokes in this film don't work you do kind of feel it more than you know than in when you're watching something where the jokes are like here's here's like 20 jokes in a minute and if one is bad it's fine because here's the next one and it's great yeah exactly um it's a yeah it's a really tough gamble and I, i really am i'm very excited to sort of dive back into the second and third one to see if that's like it's a problem that plagues the series or if it's something that um because i know i I definitely my feeling is that i feel like each movie gets a little bit a little bit tighter with its writing um and i wonder if that's going to be something i look back on super fondly given that i'm going to be able to watch all these movies with more of like a critical lens yeah now that you've seen more movies um exactly my my palette's a little bit wider but yeah like yeah because like reading dr evil here is like really tough um yeah because he's a comedy villain as well and he's like a good one but it is also tough to like compare him to anything else on this list yeah which like yeah that's really tough um but yeah i feel like if i had to like pick like one like thing to judge him on it would be like the comedy and like i guess and then i can kind of see why they'd give him like best villain um also because like his like name is literally dr evil um, I feel like that sort of just like that winner just sort of like makes itself. Um, uh, and I guess, and I guess like, he's not like, he's not even necessarily like a bad as like a villainous presence. Like he does just like kill people on like a whim, um, like by like throwing them into like fire and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any sort of uh, any more thoughts on the Austin Powers um, or like Doctor Evil as his role as a villain? Yeah, I'll say I get that he won in that he is very engaging and fun to watch. Uh, I can agree with you. Where it's like, is he the best villain on this list? Uh, we will see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh. So with that, we can probably move on to face off. Um, <laughs> um, you told me an interesting fact yesterday, in that um, this movie was like originally supposed to take place in the future, and then the director just decided, no, it's not anymore. But like, kept two things about it. Um, one being like the face off like concept technology. Was the other one, like, the Magnet Boots prison? Oh, right. I didn't tell you what the other one was because you weren't at the prison. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this movie is insane. Um, it starts out really wild. Um, John Travolta... Um, Nick, both John Travolta and Nicolas Cage giving a hilarious performance. John Travolta, I don't know intentionally, um, but I don't know what it is, but John Travolta, during like the first 10 minutes of this movie, is so lame, it's hilarious. Like, every line delivery is just so, like, it has such an air of, like, whininess to it. 
um, that I kind of love it. And then Nicolas Cage is just so, like, he's so wild in the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie when he's actually, like, the character of Caster Troy. Um, Because this movie is very confusing (laughs) in terms of, like, um, in, like, its villain ranking. Because, like, for the first um, bit of the movie, um, Nicolas Cage is the villain. And then for, like, most of the movie, John Travolta is the villain. Um, Because, of course, this movie is kind of... It's not... It is about two people, like, switching faces. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so if you have never seen Face Off... The premise of the yeah the premise of the film is John John Travolta is uh, FBI special agent Sean Archer, Nicholas Cage is this like homic- homicidal maniac Caster Troy, who in the beginning of the film in I think the first time I watched this film I think the first fifteen minutes I'm like this is the most like. Ex- exciting thing I've ever seen and that the film begins like or with the death of John Travolta's son at like at kind of this like carousel so it begins like oh okay and then the next scene is like them essentially what would be the final act of most other movies like (laughs) is sort of where this movie begins it's like he has a big plan. They're planting a bomb. He's chasing him. Nicholas Cage disguises himself as a priest and gropes somebody. Like it's just, it's insane. And I'm like, wait, I'm like, this is how this starts. Like, is this the greatest <laughs> film ever? And it kind of is. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, I feel like this movie, it definitely one of, I think the worst thing I can say about this movie is that I think it peaks very early on. Um, but it I don't say... It never dips into boredom, though. It, it definitely stays, like, consistently insane. Um, but I, I can't... We can't overstate how bonkers... First of all, like, the carousel scene just is. Um, Nicolas Cage's character just has a mustache for some reason. Like, he doesn't have a mustache after that scene because, like, time has passed. Um, so like, I don't know, it's a weird decision, I guess. Um, and then like, well, they had to show that time had passed (laughs) by by the absence, or maybe he shaved off the mustache because priests aren't allowed to have mustaches. Um, and he didn't want to ruin his disguise. Um, there's like a scene sort of after the bomb is planted where he's like getting away on a plane, um, because of, because Nicolas Cage's brother, bought the plane they now have are like tipped off to where he is which leads to like this bombastic chase um and there's like a scene where nicholas cage like pushes a lady out of like the plane like on the runway while it's like they're all chasing after him and then he does like this like shrugging gesture and it's the funniest thing ever um and it's like it's it's so it's so weird because I love this movie. I love it for what it is, but I just, I wish Nicolas Cage got to be that character for the whole movie. Um, 
because I love Travolta, and I think Travolta does a really good job doing his impression of Nicolas Cage doing a character. But just the um, the amount of peak moments in that first ten minutes, just just I wish I wish it was reversed. I just wish it was reversed. You know? Yeah. I'll say Nicolas Cage is still fun as like Travolta, but yeah, I I do get that thing where you kind of do want to see him as Caster Troy. Yeah, and I, I also realized that I was like explaining the premise, and I just got distracted talking about the beginning of the film, which is crazy. But yeah, the premise is the bomb is still out there, and be with no one willing to talk, and Nicolas Cage seeming on the, yeah in a coma near death. John Travolta decides the best possible option is to take an experimental surgery to like swap faces so he can go into prison and get the information but then Nicolas Cage wakes up gets the surgery himself to get Travolta's face then kills all the doctors and just goes to like leave Nick Cage and like and leave Caster or leave John Travolta's character in prison (laughs) there's like a scene near the end of the movie where Nicolas Cage um with the with with the mind of John Travolta's character, Archer is like explain, essentially explains to his wife, the plot of the movie up to that point. And it's so funny. Um, Cause he just, he even goes like, it was a, such a stupid idea. What a dumb idea <laughs> to like switch faces with somebody. Um, and it's just what a, it is a perfect scene. Um, and like, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that like, I heard that like Nicolas Cage and John Travolta like didn't get a like don't get along, or like there's a bit of beef there. I don't know if that's like substantiated at all. Um, and essentially, this movie was like a way for like this movie was kind of they were kind not really making fun of each other, but like Nicolas Cage is trying to do like John Travolta delivery, and John Travolta is trying to do like Nicolas Cage like delivery, um, which leads to like. Just a really interesting and fun viewing experience. Yeah. I'm reading, there is like a big long article kind of about the making of Face Off that came out a couple years ago because, oh yeah, it is currently in development for a remake from the guy yeah, directed by Adam Wingard who directed Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh, it's supposed to be a direct sequel? I don't know how that's going to work, but okay. I mean... I, I guess if it's just the technology exists and someone else figured out how to do it. But. Kind of a, an American Psycho 2 type of sequel. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But it's interesting because especially at the beginning, it's it came out in like 1990 and like the kind of two screenwriters, it was every studio in Hollywood was looking for the next Die Hard. So their initial idea was... It's the main character survives a prison riot and then it's set a hundred years in the future and has like suffers like, oh, homeless people occupy the Golden Gate Bridge. Cars fly through the sky. Chimpanzees carry out all manual labor because they're like, the action needed to happen in the future. Why the argument? Because at the time, face whopping was impossible. It's like when we were pitching it in 1990, it just seemed insane. And then they realized the purest version of the story was they switch lives and kind of enjoy them, like, as they get into it more, like... Yeah. Which, I, again, it's the section of where 
where John Travolta as Caster Troy pretending to be like Sean Archer is just enjoying Sean Archer's life and getting involved with his family. Yeah, I I think that would have been a much more interesting movie in that, like, I think, yeah, that would have led to, like, what a more interesting conflict than, like, because I feel like it's very much, like, I don't think he's trying to, like, get a, get, I don't know, but a way or do some, their plans are always, like, sometimes kind of vague. There's a whole scene dedicated to Nicolas Cage is Ca- Nicolas Cage pretending to be um, Caster, but he's actually Archer. Um, they talk about like breaking into his house and like using like a code that never happens. Um, it's it's <laughs> like it's like I I feel like like Chekhov's gun isn't like a cinema rule, but it is so weird <laughs> to like dedicate like a scene explaining something that like is that ends up just being so literally pointless um it's all and like i also i definitely kind of thought i was like maybe the movie's gonna go for that because there's like the scene where um john travolta is like at the gravestone of like the person that he killed in like the beginning um and i was like are they gonna do like a thing where like oh he feels bad now um but they ended up not doing that they instead opted for like an insane boat chase at the end (laughs) Um, yeah the boat chase which won best action sequence that year at the mtv movie awards beating beating out ship sinks in titanic um (laughs) yeah I that and the T Rex attacking San Diego sequence in Lost World. Yeah, like I don't think that's earned. Like it's the boat chase scene in Face Off reminds me a lot of. I guess spoilers for like the new Batman. It reminds me a lot of like the car chase scene in the Batman, um, where it's just not very interesting for most of it, and then there's like one insane, amazing part. And then, and then, but that's it. I got you. <laughs> I got you. No, oh no. I I think that it's great. It's like, of course, this ends on them chasing each other around on boats and then just fighting. It's it's so crazy. Yeah, and then like, and then it ends with, I th- possibly the only um, harpoon death of a villain. Um, <laughs> In, like, the final confrontation. Um, That's a bold statement to make. <laughs> you might be right, but I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll have to... I, hopefully this is something I can keep track of. Um, yeah. How many villain deaths involved harpoons? <laughs> I can definitely keep track of that. Um, yeah, and, like... Uh, I think I sent you a message about this. And, like, I, I definitely... I sent you a message being like, oh, there's, like, way too much slow-mo in this movie. And I was like, you know what? That's not fair. I've only watched, like, 30 minutes of it. That is, like, that is a problem that plagues the entire movie. And I, there are scenes that are slow-mo that are no, there's no reason to. There's no reason at all. It'll literally be, like, a normal speed scene and then, like, slow-mo of someone, like, reaching for, like, a gun and then back to normal, like, speed. It's just... 
It's the most unnecessary. And as I told you, there's never <laughs> a, a, no such thing as too much slow mo. I, I, uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit excessive. But this yeah. movie gets um, ten cinema points though for having a Howie scream instead of a Wilhelm scream. Um, the Howie, for those who don't know, the Howie scream sounds like a Tie Fighter flying by from Star Wars. Um, and it's it's during like the we we haven't talked much about it, but the magnet prison barge scene, <laughs> <laughs> um, where Nicolas Cage spends like a good chunk of the movie. Um, I kind of want your thoughts on this, because um, I am a as much as I've watched a lot of movies, I'm still I still feel like I'm a bit of a cinema noob. I really liked Nicolas Cage's performance in this. Um, yeah. Nicolas Cage, he's someone who, he is often very big in what he does. And so it is kind of popular for people to go, oh, he's bad. Or, oh, you can't tell. But no, he he is very good. He's like very particular. Like, he... You can see it, see it in this thing. It's like Caster Troy, as you said. It's like big and bombastic and operatic. And then when he's like playing Sean Archer, he does, I think, capture like the turmoil of his situation yeah. very well. Even, yeah, and, even like his posture and manner, he feels very small and like kind of scared. And like it's just, I, I, yeah, Nicolas Cage is putting in a lot of work. Um, I think John yeah, Travolta like, is too. Yeah, I love John Travolta. Like we've talked about this, I think he's re- yeah he's really good that here, um, but I do think if it was kind of reversed, because there are some people who are like, oh man, maybe like they should have just been Nicholas Cage and John Sean Archer at the start. I do think I don't know if John Travolta would have been able to get some of those littler beats in as well, like for Sean Archer because. He is, I think, best when he's just being the outsized cartoon. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it's one of the, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's one of the cases where I think Nicolas Cage could weirdly, he's better at playing both characters, unfortunately. Um, which, like, listen, we, I think this podcast is the unofficial biggest stan of John Travolta um, in all of the three movies we've watched, I think. Um uh, but like it is, it is definitely very apparent though um, that like I I I loved um, I loved Nicolas Cage's wackiness at the beginning much more than Travolta's wackiness during the film. Not to not to undersell it though, like John Travolta is giving his <laughs> pretty great, almost broken arrow esque like over the top villainy um, in in like a majority of this performance. Yeah, and that that's reasonable. Look, I'm not going to hold it against you that you don't think this is one of the best films ever made, but it it is just, as someone who loves, as a, I call it, the kind of maximum, maximalist aesthetic of just trying to be, everything trying to be too much at once. Like... No, I love it too. I, I think I... I think my... I think I have... I sort of have, I want to say two problems um, 
Or maybe just one. It might just be the slow-mo. Because, like, every time I think I have a problem, I try to think of, like, what if they did it differently? And I feel like that might ruin it. Um, except for, I think the slow-mo is the one thing that I think is, like, if you just took it out, it would be a much better experience. Because you have a much tighter film. Um, but, like... Uh, oh, no, I know what the other thing was. I think this movie probably could have done with a little more... A little a little more creativity in like their action scenes. Um, Cause a lot of them just like sort of boil down to like, um, like gunfights where people are shooting at each other that usually end really strong. Um, I really like the, the, them shooting at like the mirrors. That's really cool. But I feel like, unfortunately, like a lot of it just ends up like shooting for like a long time before something interesting happens. Um, but like this movie's also like, pretty amazing um i don't know if you like watched the clip i sent you on discord um that i was like this is what the ending reminds me of um (laughs) yeah your beloved xavier renegade (laughs) angel (laughs) yeah (laughs) to i guess to give context for our our listeners um there's a scene in that where the protagonist of uh, xavier the angel is like trying to console like a couple that lost their kid and he's just like he's like just move on like your kid's ted like there's no replacing him that's it i'll replace him <laughs> that's just really funny because this, this movie essentially ends with um john travolta's character now back with his back in his like real real face like he's he's now archer um adopting nicholas cage's uh caster troy's character's um kid um which is like it's sweet but it's also just weird um in a way that i think works ultimately like there is i don't think there's a more perfect ending to face off than that um he's got enclosure also did you did you recognize who is playing john travolta's character's daughter in this i did not Lolita herself, Dominique Swain. Oh, no. Well, she's... Oh, that's... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Man, like... She... I'm going to assume that she probably filmed this after Lolita. Oh, like, I think it's... most of that... It came out <laughs> before, but, like, it's... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, this is her first film credit. <laughs> <laughs> what a... She has quite the filmography. Um... <laughs> She was in the Nickelback music video for Rockstar. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, because um, I'm like, do we ever talk about Dominic Swain again? I'm like, oh yeah, face yeah. off. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, I also, I really like what you said about like, I like movies that are clearly trying at a lot of things. Um, like this movie, I think, tried to have like a kind of like a, a shoe tying motif with um, Nicholas Cage's like brother where in like the first scene he ties his shoe and then he ties it again when he dies um and I just I I kind of adore things like that where like they clearly like wanted this to mean something but like I don't did you like did you pick up on that the little shoe tying motif 
Um, I did not. <laughs> or like my... well, to be, it, it happens literally like outside the plane in the first scene, and then again one more time when um Nicholas Cage's brother like dies. <laughs> that's really good. I, I yeah, and like I, I really I think stuff like that's like really charming. Um, and like this, like I. This movie's definitely going to go down as probably one of my favorites, despite my problems with, like, the slow-mo. Um, it's one of those things where, like, even 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 criticisms I have of it sans the slow-mo, I don't know what I would replace those with. And it feels like a, like, a house of cards that is, like, so perfect that, like, you wouldn't want to remove anything. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, I love this film. We're covering like two of my favorites this week, and I'm just happy to talk about it in all respects. It's big. It's crazy. It. I. I watched this. And I'm like, oh yes, this is what opera's like. Even though I'm sure actual opera's <laughs> nothing like this, but like, it's just big, insane emotions and just big, crazy action and. Yeah, Caster Troy, just a classic villain. Like, yeah. what's more to say? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't... So, I think we're ready to move on to um, Air Force One. Is it... So, you know the guy from the Spider-Man movies, like the, the give-me-my-rent guy? Yes. He's in both Austin Powers and in Air Force One as a Russian. Is he Russian? Um, let me see. Yeah. I, I looked up Mr. Ditkovich, because that is the character's name in the Spider-Man films. <laughs> oh, see, I, um, he might just be Russian. <laughs> yeah, 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 Ilya Baskin is a Russian-American character actor. Yeah. He first gained attention for his role in Moscow on the Hudson as Robin Williams' best friend. He is also known for playing Peter Parker's landlord, Mr. Dickovich, in Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. Yeah, I just... Because yeah, I noticed him in Air Force 1. Because um, he's one of, like, the... Uh, he's, like, the pilot hijacker. Um, but he's also just, like... I think he's, like, the Russian ambassador in, like, the first... Uh, in one of the first scenes in Austin Powers. <laughs> um, but no, that makes sense. I, I thought he was, uh, it makes sense that he's Russian. Cause I was like, is he just getting like, is he just getting typecasted or, uh, but yeah, um, Air Force One, um, this, I, I think, um, this movie has instilled, um, a new belief I have in that I feel like every president should be able to kick ass, um, and like be awesome. <laughs> um, I think that's it's more important than uh, than policy. It's more important than uh, anything than age. Because um, like, boy howdy, um, as a as a Canadian, does this movie ever make me feel goddamn patriotic? <laughs> um, <laughs> like it is just so. It is like it is. It's. It's borderline propaganda um, at some points, <laughs> like American propaganda in like it is it is such it is fetishized. Um, like there are scenes where like there's so there are multiple scenes where like like uh, there's just a boardroom of people that just like are on the other end of a phone line and then just start like cheering. Um, it is this movie is a has a very insane opening. 
Um, probably, I want to say, like, the second or third most insane on this list. Um, and then it, it stays pretty, it stays at a pretty consistently, like, fun, energetic vibe uh, throughout the whole thing, which I didn't think it was going to. I definitely, I think at about, like, the 20 or 25 minute mark, I was like, I, I was kind of, like, being like, okay, I kind of, like, I get it. Like, is this going to, like, when is this going to, is this going to be able, like, to is this going to start getting boring? Cause I was getting that inkling feeling, but it ends up like being pretty entertaining all the way through. Yeah. No, this is a movie. It's, I never like it quite as much as I think I'm going to when I watch it, but I do enjoy it a lot. Uh, it is directed by the guy who did in the line of fire, Wolfgang Peterson. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Returning to it, like his theme of movies about the president or action films. and people trying to kill the president <laughs> yeah. was was very funny because I think because I'm usually a few weeks ahead in watching these films and so I believe when I got to this one it was like pretty early into the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, that has. As of as of this record is still going on with maybe it's stopped in like the next two weeks and people will go Russia what's that? But, um, <laughs> if you're listening to this from your your nuclear bunker, um, <laughs> uh. but it's it's very funny that like it is like a film that begins with him going to Russia and yeah after capturing like a neo Soviet dictator from Kazakhstan and that it's like it's it's very much a film that it feels like they had maybe conceived of it like I don't know for sure before the Cold War had ended and then suddenly they're like oh I guess we have to like figure something else out like it is funny that you were kind of getting a Cold War film in the like 90s after that was way over mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I do. It's weird. I feel like um, one of I feel like one of the weakest elements of this film, and maybe I don't know if we're going to disagree on this, um, might have end up just being like the villain. Um, I think Gary Oldman's like doing like a pretty. I think he's doing like a pretty good performance, but the villain ends up just being like weirdly one note, um, and that he's just sort of like like an evil Russian. And there's like a few scenes that like. I think try to imply like a much deeper sentiment, but end up just like kind of, I don't know. just end up falling a little flat for me. Um, like I see what they're trying to go for. It just doesn't end up being like that compelling or entertaining, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. I think that's partly what it comes down to for this movie. For me, it's like Gary Oldman is, I think good in this, but he is, just the character is not very exciting. It's like, oh, he he's not even, like, the real villain. The real villain is this guy who's been in, like, prison, and I was surprised when Gary Oldman's character is killed, and there is still about half an hour left to go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, he definitely is, like, it's so, it's so strange. Um, yeah, because it ends up just like it ends up just being like he he doesn't. There's no like dynamicness to him. He's not like unpredictable. He's not. He's like threat. He's weird. He's very threatening and like 
people die in this movie like flies but it weirdly is like kind of it ends up being like a little boring um i it's just like um i think it's like it's one of those things where like the first scene where he just like where he, he like kills somebody is like it's like whoa like he's not messing around and then they have like three more scenes like that and it just doesn't it's not it doesn't able it's not able to stay like quite as impactful impactful each time yeah usually usually when you're with Gary Oldman I'm like oh just go back to like Harrison Ford sneaking around because that is sort of where the juice of this film lies <laughs> like obviously I don't know if there's any compelling alternates for this year but it it is just kind of the thing where maybe in another year he'd stand out more but well when you're at a year that has like the literal devil in it and <laughs> Caster Troy. Yeah, it's just hard when the thing's like, oh yeah, I'm a guy. Like Yeah, and like it's one of those things where like he kinda I feel like he like needed a gimmick or something. Um Yeah. Yeah, it just kinda... needed like an eye patch or <laughs> Exactly. Or like maybe he could have been the devil as well. Um <laughs> Yeah, um yeah and like I feel like that is that is kind of where like a lot of the um where this movie i feel like a lot of where like it falters because i feel like all of its other elements i feel like it hits pretty pretty okay um i feel like the action is it's like i i think it's weird because i was definitely criticizing um face off earlier for like its action being a little boring and i feel like this one this one on paper i feel like is very similar but i don't know what it is it's something about like the confined spaces that in my head makes it feel a little more justified and i feel like they kind of did all they really could and it's there's less like action scenes and more like kind of sleuthing scenes um with the president um yeah because it's vaguely a mystery of him trying to figure out what's happened and why it, so yeah, i i also say that like the more interesting you know, villain here is like the secret service agent who's the mole uh played by xander berkeley who's been on 24 and other things and it's just really good at playing kind of like the slime bag um, yeah like it's he's it's it's so and he's like he is he ends up once gary Oldman kind of once gary Oldman dies um he ends up kind of being like the 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 what are like there's like the three kinds of irony whichever one is the one where the audience knows what the characters dramatic irony um he kind of ends up being like the ticking time bomb of dramatic irony for the and you're just waiting for like when is his moment going to like when is he going to finally like make a bad thing happen um uh yeah and it it is it is kind it is like upsetting because i feel like i feel like this movie like this is one of those movies that really hinges on the villain um unlike i feel like a movie we're going to talk about later titanic that like is not a movie that super hinges on the villain um and like has many great elements outside of it i feel like a lot of what can hold this movie back like is the thing that that is the thing that we're we're half the half of the critique of this um of this uh season of the podcast yeah this this definitely is going like to how how much a good villain can be a the juice of like an action movie like this like just you, you want someone who's like really memorable or who has like cool lines or has more than a couple scenes with like the main character yes. and isn't just 
doing like diehard stuff on his own for much of it but yeah i i'm, I'm super glad you brought that up because i completely forgot i i wrote it down but i i almost forgot to say it that like yeah something that really holds this movie back is that he never really gets to interact that much with our protagonist whereas um a movie we're going to talk about pretty soon um like the antagonist and the protagonist get to interact a lot um which is like which to the movie's benefit definitely um can't figure out if you're talking about Titanic or Devil's Advocate. I could be talking about either. <laughs> Just, um, yeah. Yeah. But, like, this movie does, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where um, uh, it, I feel it scratches, like, a certain itch. Um, like, when he's cutting, like, the bomb wires and, and he, he cuts the green one and then his phone cuts out and he's like, He's like, I'm counting on you, red, white, and blue. Um, and it just doesn't cut those wires, and it works. Like, that's just hilarious. Um, yeah. Uh, the president also gets suplexed in this movie, um, which, like, any movie with that is, like, at, at minimum, minimum three-star movie, if it's got that in it. Um, yeah, and, like, I do... Uh, I do like this movie, like, the first act is, like, them hijacking the plane is, like, so frantic and, like, terrifying. I do really appreciate that. Yeah, like, you really feel the stakes of what if Air Force One got hijacked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, do, you have any, do you have any sort of final thoughts on uh, Gary Oldman or this uh, Air Force One? Yeah, no, not much. Again, this is a film, as much as I'm always like, oh, I wish this was better. You know, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong with a uh, 90s Harrison Ford action film. Like, you know, this isn't The Fugitive, but if you ever just want, like, a junky movie where that culminates in, like, Harrison Ford going, get off of my plane! Like, you can't yeah. go wrong with Air Force One. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, and as much as we, um... As much as we dogged on the villain a little bit, he does die in like, like I, I feel like a top ten villain death kind of way, um, where he's literally like, he, like a thing's wrapped around his neck and he's essentially hung from the back of the plane, like with a parachute. Yeah. Like it is, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like brutal. It's great. It's yeah. He gets hung and then he gets thrown out of the plane. It's yeah. Yeah, and this movie, like, I, I'll i always give points to a movie that, like, ends really nice. Um, and, like, this movie, like, has a very good, like, feel-good ending. Yeah, there's a new Air Force One now. <laughs> Air Force <laughs> Two. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we can now move on to our next movie. This is the one I've had, like, the most time to sort of ruminate on, and I'm kind of glad for it, because I feel like it is... I feel like this is the one I have like a lot of appreciation for, um, the Devil's Advocate. Yeah, this is a movie again. I watched it like a couple years ago when I was was going for a thing where I'm like I want to watch some legal thrillers. I'm like, oh, this one also is like supernatural. Okay, and then yeah, definitely gave me more than I bargained for with its just insane story of what if like Keanu Reeves's dad was the devil just like... <laughs> um yeah so like the the 
to sort of, I guess the Cliff Notes version of this movie's plot is that Keanu Reeves is like, uh, I guess like a small town lawyer, I think in Florida, um, who's like, he's in, in like, like, I think all of the lawyers, we've, uh, almost all of the lawyers that we've covered, um, is like, is like kind of a sleaze bag. And like the first scene is him like getting what is like very clearly, um, a pedophile off, um, like, uh, using like pretty like slimy tactics. Um, and then he's sort of offered a job in New York and, uh, for working for Al Pacino. Um, and they sort of are working, I think, I think, I don't know if, I think that he works like a case before the, um, the major case of the movie. Um, oh, what's, what's the name, what's the name of the actor? Um, he's like, he's pretty famous. Um, of like the of like their of the person they're def- they're defending for like a majority of the movie, um, do you know who I'm talking uh, about? He's like, uh, oh, he's got he's got such like a recognizable face. Um, I don't know. Uh, Cra- Craig T. Nelson, Mister Incredible That's himself, who it is. as Alex Collins. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they might have a thing before him, um, but essentially, like, yeah, like, um, uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, oh, sorry, uh, and, like, um, his wife, um, uh, played by, uh, um, is it Char- Charlize or Charlize? Charlize yeah, Theron. Charlize Theron. I feel like we went for this exact same thing the last time we talked about yeah. her for, like, months. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not, it's, it, it, maybe, it's probably an easy name to say, I'm just overthinking it, um, uh. their lives just start like getting like their relationship is getting worse um uh theron's character is like like it's it's weird because like there's a good chunk of this movie um probably like any time before like the last 20 minutes where you could argue that maybe a lot of the demonic imagery is like symbolic or like metaphorical or or not real um and it seems to affect uh, Theron the most. And it's just, I think it's just sort of this, like, it's just everything around them starts to fall apart a little bit um, while they're sort of going after this case. Um, and then it all sort of culminates <laughs> in this insane scene where Al, Al, Al Pacino let's Keanu Reeves know that not only is he the devil, but that he, Keanu is his son. (laughs) And then, um, he has to like make love with uh, what is, is, is it also like his like stepsister? I, I'm trying to remember. It's his, uh, no, 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 it's his half sister to conceive the antichrist. (laughs) like it's weird because like like i i feel like am i wrong when i say that like for a good chunk of this movie a lot of like because they're like characters faces that will turn to demons um and like sort of like super somewhat supernatural things will happen but like it's all well within the realm of like it being like metaphorical or like just someone's psyche um breaking is it, I feel like um um yeah or you know what I feel like the scene that actually breaks that is when Al Pacino sticks his finger in the holy water 
it starts boiling and then that causes someone to get hit by a car um (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah there is like a lot of stuff going on but other than but you're not necessarily like you don't necessarily know for sure that it's actually supernatural causes i mean you have some idea because some stuff is like some stuff is weird he's having like you know visions like his his wife suddenly becomes in infertile after she has like a nightmare about a baby playing with her ovaries um yeah it's problematic actor jeffrey jones is beaten to death by like demons <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's it is a it's weird um i feel like this movie all of its serious moments come off as very goofy and i i don't know if that's intentional um like like the spooky faces um when theron is like nude in the church with all the scars and like I think when she like slits her throat at the end, I don't know why, but I don't know what it is about it, but all of these like came off as very goofy to me, like in their execution. Um But I don't know if those were like supposed I feel like they were probably supposed to be like very serious scenes. Um And like uh, it's a very heightened yeah. tone. Again, similarly maximalist uh, face off, though not quite on the level of face off, but it is sort of a film that it is a little kind of high camp. Um, and yeah, some scenes that you would expect would be more like serious or dramatic are kind of played for laughs a bit more or just kind of come off that way because the whole c- scenario is so insane. It's just... Yeah. Um, yeah, and like, I don't know what it is in that like, I was like I don't think I was like super enjoying this movie um for I just it just wasn't super clicking with me until like that last 20 minutes and I don't know why but everything else it all just kind of clicked for me for some reason in that like I ended up like really enjoying this movie <laughs> um I don't know what it is about like that last scene and then just like the <laughs> the really goofy ending um that just made everything work for me. And I ended up liking Al Pacino's character way more. Um, I like the conversation that him and Keanu Reeves have at the end. Um, it's just, I like, like, it's, it's just, it becomes so much, so fascinating at the end. And I, I wish more of the movie was, was like it, but I don't know if that would work, you know? Yeah. It is something where you kind of wish that, like, he's showing the card sooner, but the end really does make it click into place, because a lot of what's going on, you know, as goofy as it is, it is kind of, like, unpleasant, like, Charlie's Theron is, like, brutalized and ultimately kind of takes her own life because she can't ha- handle it. Like, he, yeah, he is just being, like, very uh, immoral, but then suddenly it does become an just interesting, like morality tale where like El Pacino's whole thing is he's like look he's like yeah sure sure there's like demons and stuff but I didn't make you do anything I set the stage and you made your own choices because you wanted to win like (laughs) that's a good that's a good bit to just have in there 
And so you're like, oh, okay, it's kind of like, there's kind of a lesson here, but the lesson is also crazy. <laughs> Just, yeah. It's... Um, yeah, I also like, I like the lore of this, or I like the implied lore of this movie that um, Keanu Reeves' character and Adam Sandler's character, Little Nicky, are siblings. Um, <laughs> I like that the, the, the Satan cinematic universe is expanding. Um, and like, I don't know. Um, and like, I guess like to kind of like tie it back, um, like the ending of this movie um, is, uh, is Counter Reeves like sort of being like, he, so <laughs> he like starts having sex and then or I don't even know if he starts, but he, he shoots himself pretty much. Um, yeah, he realizes the loophole to get out of this is free will, which he uses to shoot himself in in like a head. Then like Al Pacino gets mad, kills everyone in the well. well like I mean the his step sister Krista Bella, and then. It turns out this whole thing has been an elaborate test, and suddenly Keanu Reeves' character Kevin is back at, back at the trial of yeah the Gettys. Uh, just to use terminology that like I mean, yeah ever ever since the classic Lolita episode with Jack, where I'm like oh maybe like pedophile's not the correct term, but like this guy who's been accused of child child molestation and ultimately announces that he can't represent the client, he definitely knows he's guilty, and then people are like, oh, we're gonna disbar you, which I'm not sure really tracks, if you're... Though, yeah. I guess it is I, pretty late into the trial. Yeah, I, I wonder, but... I always wonder about that, where it's like, I, I feel like that that must be um, grounds for, like, disbarring, because, like, couldn't you just theoretically, like, take a case of someone you don't like, and then just, like, do a really bad job and then leave right at the end. Um, like I feel like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder. Maybe there is like a legal case for like di- disbarment in that thing. If it, yeah, if it looked like it, I guess if, yeah, if you're doing it at that key point where you're like, okay, I got to step down, then everyone's going to go, well, clearly he's guilty. So. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, yeah, like it's, it's like really like, yeah. In like this case where like the guy, where it's like clearly guilty, it like makes sense. Like, Oh, what do you, what? but like, I feel like in real life, it's like, I wouldn't want, if I was being defended against, I wouldn't want my lawyer, like, leaving on, like, the last day. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um. Yeah. But then, in a goofy twist, just straight out of, like, a, like, R.L. Stein story, basically, <laughs> just, it's, he sees, like, a reporter who, the reporter was there earlier, who's, like, hey, give me an interview, I'll make you famous, and then, like, Charlie's Theron, who's alive again, it's like, come on, go for it. He's like, all right. And then they leave. But then the reporter is just Al Pacino <laughs> again, and he's like, oh, vanity. <laughs> so it's just, are they just going to keep going? It's like a weird Groundhog's Day where it Here just feels like it's always again. going to end in him, like, having to go and try and make different choices <laughs> at this trial. It's, it's just, it's, what it, it really is, like, a, who's who's afraid of the dark like style like goofy like witch ending um and i really do adore it um and like yeah and like it's weird that like it's not even that i enjoy the last 20 minutes and like i don't enjoy this movie it's weird that like the last 20 minutes like kind of made me enjoy the rest of the movie more 
Like, I, I wasn't really vibing with Al Pacino's character, like, up until that moment. But then once that moment happened, sort of reflecting back on it, I ended up, like, I ended up having, like, a much more positive feeling about it. Which is, like, it's weird. It's weird, too. Like, it's it's just a weird feeling I got. Because, um, like, Al Pacino's, like, really, really fun in this movie. Um, even when he's not being, yeah. even when he's being um, tongue-in-cheek, maybe he's Satan. And not, like, literally just telling us he's Satan. Yeah, it is definitely a case, like, as we said, is sometimes, like, the right villain elevates this thing. Like, there's a version where if you have someone who's not Al Pacino, maybe the last 20 minutes don't work. But he is doing so much to just sell the sudden, suddenly, like, apocalyptic scenario he, like, just brings into, like, the very end of this thing. And and it does really kind of elevate everything that came before it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is just, like, a, like, this is, yeah, like I said, this is a movie that I have, like, the most time to, like, think back and look back upon, and, like, I honestly, like, I really, really enjoyed it, um, and, like, really, like, like, good, really good villain, it's literally Satan, um, (laughs) I feel like, like, I wonder, I really do wonder how many, if we're gonna get any more people that are satan or at least like satan um like stand-ins um on this villain list um i wonder if we're gonna have more like metaphorical satans i feel we have to like we we cover a fair number of horror movie type stuff as we get into like the 2000s um i'm sure there has to be somebody yeah we cover a hell we cover a hellboy 2 like (laughs) i don't know if that's the same thing but that feels close yeah Yeah. oh yeah i mean we do cover uh willem defoe's green goblin which maybe maybe that is a satan allegory um well the grinch is definitely a satan allegory um lucifer you know falling (laughs) falling with his uh his broken wings um god <laughs> like a wrench episode oh um, uh, yeah did i mention that our guest for the grinch episode has watched every single hannibal thing to prepare <laughs> like it's... i i really i'm really happy about that yeah oh. yeah hey shane i know you're listening to this it's gonna be yeah, fun I'm just I, I looking at that list like holy crap other than the hannibal which i watched because of this podcast and i guess the grinch i i've not seen any of the other movies so that is going to be yeah, i'm it's... gonna have the i'm gonna have the opposite where i'm going to be i feel like oh you've never seen gladiator no, i'm gonna be the yeah. opposite whereas i'll have the minimalist prep for this possible um I might end up. I this might give me an excuse to watch the um the Benedict Cumberbatch Grinch just so I can have more Grinch lore. Um. Uh, but yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you have any more? Uh. Any more devilish thoughts? Um. Yeah. I got. I guess I'll clear out. Like I just casually mentioned, problematic actor Je- Jeffrey Jones. It. It. Uh, like I'll. I'll bring up that he is an actor who, in 2002, was arrested for possession of child pornography and solicitating a minor to pose for photographs and pleaded no contest, and then has also been arrested twice for not updating his status as a sex offender. So, it, I get it. Not a great year for, like, movies without, like, troubling people in them. Um, but, hey, that's... 
that's the kind of dour note to end this on. This <laughs> film is crazy. Like it's Yeah. <laughs> well, now I just feel like I'm being glib about the yeah. whole thing. But but it is something where like I think Al Pacino's character literally says better to reign in hell at one point. <laughs> yeah, I think it's literally like during like their last kind of talk. Um yeah. Uh, Al Pacino Al Pacino um I'm trying to think what else I would have I think the most recent thing I saw him in was um Insomnia um with him and Robin Williams. Um and he does a really good job in that movie too. It's 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 weird how yeah, it's weird having uh he's how 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 old is he now? Cuz I don't I don't um he is 81. Yeah. What did I see him? Oh yeah, I saw him in House of Gucci last fall. Yeah, cuz like this is like an actor and... I've I've only ever seen like rather old. Um <laughs> just given yeah, he of course is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the what a picture guy, where he's like, oh. uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, doing a great job as uh, Satan himself. But yeah, he watch House of Gucci. He's playing Jared Leto's character's father in it. Like it's, and it's not as insane as Jared Leto's performance, which was literally Waluigi. But like, <laughs> it is pretty great. Um, <laughs> Uh, and with that we can go on to titanic i'm gonna say Um, what both of us are clearly thinking why didn't they give it to the iceberg like i don't (laughs) like (laughs) i i i like it just seems so obvious like not to spoil um i guess we're one movie away but not to spoil my villain list but like like really like the (laughs) Like he's not, he's not like it's not like um, Billy Zane is like not in the movie at all. But he is like he's far from the focus. Like he is. It's so like. It, My yeah. counterpoint to this is he is such a heel. He, you know, he takes <laughs> a child and uses that to get onto a lifeboat. He is a coward. He's like a villain. He, he is, is like a slime ball. No, I, that is the one thing that like before I rewatched this, that is the one thing that I absolutely remember was like he steals a child and like takes them on the boat with him. Um and like and he uh, he is just he's slimy. Um but I still I still stand by it should have been the iceberg. Um, or hubris. Those are two, I think, more powerful villains in this movie. Um, because <laughs> uh, like it's weird. I feel like a lot of a lot of times I, we we've covered it in the past. I can't. I know we must have because I feel like we've had this exact um conversation. Titanic. Oh no, 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 just the concept that like this is a villain, but he's not like the main antagonist. He's not like the causer of conflict. He's just sort of another character, um, like, in the movie. Like, he's not, like, an active... He's not really, like, an active antagonistic force um, or, like, driver of the major conflict. He chases them on a boat <laughs> with a gun. Like... I, I guess he does. But without that, it would still have sunk. Um <laughs> He ties Jack up. That's why, like, Jack dies, ultimately. Like, because he's not able to get onto anything. Like, it's... Uh, 
Yeah, I you know what you're you're bringing me over a little bit on on the Billy Zane is evil train. Um, yeah, like no, he's not an iceberg. Yeah, but like <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I I do, I do get that. Um, yeah, I think I talked about I talked about it a little bit on the first time I watched it, but like I always forget the fr- that like how much of this movie is spent with old Rose. Um, and like that's like the framing of it. I also well, the first time you're like, I didn't know there was old yeah, people. I didn't in know this. that at all. Like, just... Um, I also like I I always like Titanic is always Titanic feels like two movies where it has this like really sweet and romantic love movie for the first half, and then this like violent horror movie for the last half that is like genuinely like it makes my heart sink. Um. You know, definitely doesn't make my heart go on. Um, like, I and like it's almost like perfectly at like the halfway point too, where like it this essentially gets to be two really good movies, one after the other, um, with like totally different feelings. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, like I'm always surprised. I think the first time I was surprised that the iceberg essentially hits halfway through. And then another 40 minutes of it is still just people trying to get off the ship before it gets into the real, like, fun, oh, it's in the water, like, action sequence of people hitting the fan. and Yeah, it is, man. And, like, I don't know. I, I guess I guess my thing is that, like, it's not that, um, it's not that Billy's character, Cal, is, like, it's not, I feel like in, in, a, in a different movie, he's, he's a slime ball. But, like, it's just that he feels so small. <laughs> he just feels so small in this movie. Um, he frames Jack for he, theft of the he heart. He does of the do ocean. that. I made sure to write that down because at a certain point, I was like, I feel like I need to start cataloging this guy. Um, yeah, like he's defeated by the Wall Street <laughs> crash of nineteen twenty-nine, which causes him to take his yeah, life. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I was about to say like, I was, is this another villain that sort of gets away? But no, he. He doesn't like I think the thing in this movie is that like you know this movie the number one villain is clearly like hubris the number two is the iceberg number three is um is a lack of class consciousness and then and then like number four is Billy um <laughs> which is uh which is like you know what he's he's the first non He's the first person, you know, that I would say is antagonistic. I don't think there's, like, a bigger a-hole in this movie other than him. Um, which I mean, Rose's mom isn't not great. great. But, like, she, I think she gets to be sort of, like, understandably tragic a little bit. Whereas, like, whereas like Cal is just sort of just mean for no good reason. Um, uh, yeah. This this is like one of your favorite movies, right? Yeah, I again, I as much as I'm like, oh, I don't need, I don't, I didn't not watch this for like a fourth time, but I came close. I'm like, maybe I just watch it. But partly the reason I didn't think that was necessary is unlike some of these films where I've seen before, where I'm like, oh, what's that villain doing again? I guess I should rewatch. There, I'm like, no, I know exactly what like Billy Zane's doing. Like it's. As, as much as you're saying, yeah, he feels small compared to the other stuff, I will say he definitely makes an impression. Yeah, and, like, I I think it's definitely, like, 
worth note that like he definitely does like steal a kid to get off um which like it's one of those things where like that seems really villainous but it's also like the type it's also like the ship is sinking and like would i have done any different (laughs) um like i try to like i look at like it's um i think i think they like kind of say as much near the end of the movie with like when they kind of go back to like the the characters like outside of the story like the submarine guys and then they go talk about how like oh i didn't really like think about it like like the actual like event um and I, like i wonder if this movie did that for a lot of people where it's like if like a ship was sinking i don't know if i would be like noble at all <laughs> i might turn to a compl- i might turn into a cowl hulky hawkley myself um <laughs> just to get on a lifeboat yeah it is, God. it is also the case, um, cause, oh yeah, cause the whole thing is initially Cal, Cal and Jack are both trying to get Rosie on the lifeboat without him, cause Cal has already bought his passage, um, onto a different ship, and I forget why that doesn't ultimately work oh, out. Oh, I, like, I, uh, um, it's essentially there's like the, like one of like the sailors, um, is like sort of like trying to, like, fend people off, and then he goes, like, I, I bought my thing, and then, like, one of the sailors, like, takes out his money and, like, throws it at him and goes, like, not, no more, like, not gonna happen. Like, essentially, right. the situation gets okay. much worse really fast. Yes, okay, I am remembering that now. I'm like, oh, right, yeah, immediately. That's why he doesn't get on, but there's the thing, too, where, first, I think just kind of the false sacrifice of, no, come on, Rose, you gotta go on, and like, when, like, Leonardo DiCaprio does not have, like, a way off this boat, and he thinks he does. Like, yeah. It, also, when he straight up lies, he's like, I can get Jack off the ship. Just, mm-hmm. like, he straight up, again, he spends so much time trying to get Leonardo DiCaprio killed. His, yeah. Just because, just because he fell in love with, like, his fiance. um... Yeah. <laughs> it's not very emotionally present. Yeah. I like how much of the segment is me just trying to make the case for why I think he's a good villain for like this. No, I, I think um I th- yeah, you know what? I think I, I think the one thing that always because um, when I usually when I think the major thing that I think of when I think of um, him being a villain is him sort of like taking the kid onto the onto the boat. But for me, like my standard for what makes you villainous, um definitely like gets super distorted when like a boat is sinking um but he's also like horrible before that um like he like he smacks rose um like he's just has he just has this sort of general smug demeanor that is just so like hateable um and like um i also like you brought up like the gun the gun chase uh as well uh, something i really enjoy is that like how clumsy and like frantic that is like it is it is probably like the most like unhinged gun chase scene i've seen in a movie in a while um when he's like chasing like uh jack and rose um which is which is i think a point in his favor i would say yeah and that's before he realizes she has the necklace, right? Like yeah. It's, it's an on the lifeboat, because that's another thing I remember, when he realizes that she has the necklace, just as like he's getting away. 
I think I'm going to use my but, platform one more time um, to say that, like, there's no way they both could have been on the door. Um, like, I, I'm i so upset that I was fed that lie for so long of, like, the... Yeah, if you haven't listened to our original Titanic episode and you're mostly familiar with it for the supposed plot hole that they both could have fit on the door that the film explicitly shows that it would have like toppled into the sea like yeah and also like the oh they could have alternated oh so they both die like like she is very close to death like in the end of that movie it would have been a complete like for anyone out there you're spreading misinformation um about this fictitious story about a real event um but yeah yeah misinformation i actually i can't say this is worse than ever kind of misinformation <laughs> that might be a little too far for this podcast where like i routinely go oh yeah oklahoma city bombing but like oh, um, yeah but yeah get your facts straight watch the movie yeah. again like it's just three hours of your life what else are you gonna do with that exactly. time spend it with loved ones yeah. oh come on unless you're on a sinking boat you know uh yeah do you have any other uh, final final uh, thoughts? Um, no, I, f- I think that about covers it. Like, uh, love, love, love this movie. Uh, I'm sure I'll watch it a fourth time the next time it comes up in the context of this podcast. I'm just if I have not seen it b- beforehand. Um, but yeah, with that, I think we can get into our rankings. So we will start with the movies. Yeah. So for my movies, um, I would say, like, I think, like you said, like, I think this is really telling that, like, um, this is a good week when, like, I don't really have much. I feel like I sung the praises of my bottom one a lot, um, but I think at the bottom, I think I have um, The Devil's Advocate. Um, I think it's just, I think there's just, it just takes a while for it all to click for me. And I feel like there might have been, like, a little bit of some areas where it falters a little bit. Um, and then, like, it's also something I don't know if I'll rewatch again, too. Um, and then above that, I think I have Air Force One. It's just sort of this very feel-good movie that is, like, given even its, like, pretty limited, like, scope, ends up, like, being, like, a really intense, fun movie. And then... Um, above that one, I think I have a Titanic. Um, I really, this is like my second time viewing it and I really enjoy it. Probably not the last time, given it's like one of like the most iconic movies of all time. And then, uh, for my top two spots, I think, I think I kind of have to give it to face off with Austin Powers just a little bit below. Um, face off is a very goofy and ambitious movie that clearly has like a lot of heart and a lot of novelty um and it's just it is an insanely fun experience that i recommend to all wow good coming for a face-off a movie where you definitely complain a lot about the slow motion in that segment yeah cool 
So for my bottom, I have Air Force One. Again, good movie. Just never like it as much as I think I'm going to, but that's not really its fault. Get off of my plane. It's good. Then above that, probably The Devil's Advocate. Like, it really is a movie where the last 20 minutes make it, but wow, what a last 20 minutes. Above that, Austin Powers, just a movie I did not give enough credit to the first time, and it's just really, really funny, really good. Mike Myers is someone I have a complicated relationship with, but always love to see him doing his thing. I'm excited for his new Netflix show in May where he's playing like six different characters. Um, Then, for top two, this is tough. Um, As I said, these are two of my favorite movies of all time. Ultimately, I think maybe Titanic's a little bit above, like, Face Off. Just really un- like, undeniable, but it is pretty close, very close between, between them. Just two great films, just big emotions, a lot of fun, very dramatic, kind of very sad. Well, I mean, Face Off isn't that sad, but like, has, has some emotions, but yeah, just cinema. Um, but how did the villains stack up? Yeah, so for the villains, I think it's going to look um, pretty similarly. Um, I don't think it's a big surprise. I think Air Force One is probably my bottom villain. Um, originally, it was the it was um, Cal, but I think through our talk, I think you you made me budget up to uh, second last. Um, Plus, the iceberg wasn't really doing anything. It was just <laughs> chilling out. <laughs> yeah. No, fair enough. Um, and I think smack dab in the middle um, is going to be uh, Satan himself, the devil's advocate. Um, just like it, it is it is something that like i think very similar to the movie where it's like i think he, he's like very entertaining throughout but like it's during like the last 20 minutes that like he really gets to go like all out and i just wish that was i wish that was a switch they flicked halfway through um and then uh for my top two uh i think almost exactly like my movies i think i have to put face off just a little bit above austin powers i think dr evil is just he's really really funny it's like a really good character um i like i don't know if it would be my winner honestly these top three are like really close um uh but i think i would have to give face off my number one um but i i feel like dr evil and um gary oldman's character uh e igor uh or no sorry um not gary oldman al pacino i'm looking at the wikipedia and got my my eyes crossed um al pacino's character um john i feel like him and dr evil like i feel like there's like it was a good switch and i wouldn't be too wouldn't be too upset about it um but definitely like i don't know why you wouldn't give it to face off um as the number one villain like it's so good (laughs) yeah no that's good i'm glad i can i'm glad i convinced you um I gotta say, when we took a little recording break, I mentioned to my friends the argument, and everyone's like, Billy Zane's clearly the villain, and he's actively villainous, so I've already got my vindication before this is even out. Um, (laughs) Listen, if we want to rank them on things like traditional villainy, maybe, but throw that on the ship's sunk bell curve, and maybe a little different result comes out. (laughs) Yeah, so for mine, like, Gary Oldman at the bottom... 
Like, just clearly the weakest villain of the bunch. Like, yeah, you know, he's fine, but... There. Then above that... This is tough, because with the exception of Gary Oldman, I do think these are all good for di for different reasons. Um, I might just have to go with Dr. Evil, just because I think he's like the makings of a good character. He's like really entertaining. I enjoy him a lot, but I don't necessarily think he hits his full potential in this film. So it's just kind of going low with the assumption that I'll be making going higher for him in the later ones um then above that um hmm yeah i know who my number one is um, so it's i'm like like i have i made my case that billy zane is a clear villain um do i think he's a better villain than the devil you know what? I do. Like, Al Pacino in the middle, Billy Zane comfortably in number two, but yeah, in a Caster Troy year, you gotta give it to Caster Troy. Um, Just, like, even if it was just Nicolas Cage for the first 15 minutes and that was about a completely different thing, I think he would take it. So, yeah. We had some disagreements, but I think we wound up at least in a similar place where it matters. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, uh, yeah, I, oh, man, I face off, man. It is something. It is, it is truly something. It is very like there are movies that I feel like are theoretically insane, and then there are movies that are actually insane, and I feel like this is like one of the very few that is both. Um, because like there are a lot of movies that like if you were to read the plot synopsis are like really insane, but then end up like being kind of boring like in the long run like maybe they have one insane part and then there are movies that sound completely normal but end up being insane and i feel like this is a movie that it is its premise and its selling point is that john Travolta and nicholas cage swap faces and it delivers it delivers tenfold yeah i mean you can't get much better than that i will say the this week um Another podcast I I listen to a lot that's inspired me, Blank Check, has been covering the films of Sam Raimi, and their one this week was on this film he made in like in the eighties, Crime Wave, which a lot of friends of mine got like really hy hyped about. They're like, "Oh yeah, this is so crazy. This is so e everything." And like I watched it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, like Crime Wave, another film that's made for me." It's like a lot of like people yelling, and it's just really crazy, heightened, pulpy like, maximalist stuff, but at the same time, as much as people were like, oh, this is the craziest film, I did watch this, I'm like, eh, you got, like, a couple tricks here. It's like baby's first maximalist, kind of. Um, like, in the nicest way possible for a movie I like a lot, where something like Face Off, I think, gives you just a full, like, yeah, just kind of a full course thing. Like, it, it never really runs out of tricks, even when it, yeah, even when it's just, like, they're fighting on, like, competing speedboats at the end like there's always like some new gear it finds um but yeah i think at this point we have moved on to recommendation of the week so what do you got this week oh, man? so today um unfortunately i feel like everything i i like watched um in between like everything non like this week related which i think i feel like it might have been just the fifth element um is not really something i want to recommend so what i will recommend 
are um, everyone should go find a wall and do some uh, wall angel stretches. It is, I feel like good posture is something that I struggle with a lot. And I feel like most people struggle with. Um, and this is just a good stretch for your uh, upper back. Um, I There's no way I'm going to be able to explain it in audio form. So I would just Google how to perform uh, wall angels. And I'm sure that there's not going to be an issue with you finding a good stretch for that. And that is my recommendation of the week. Because I, 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 I think that posture is more important than the fifth element. Wow. But the fifth element is love. I mean, spoilers, <laughs> but just... <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm trying to think. As much as I just said, oh, Phase Off's like a better example of this than Crime Wave, people should still watch Crime Wave. Um, oh, that, that almost want, wants to be it. Um, oh, I know. As, a, as of this record, something that happened this week was Paul Rudd appeared on Conan O'Brien's podcast, where he did, uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar with the history of Paul Rudd on Conan O'Brien's TV shows, he he did a recurring joke for literally twenty years, um, up until up until like the the bitter end, where he would always set up a clip from whatever thing he was there to ostensibly promote. And instead of the clip from that, he would play a clip from the movie Mac and Me, in which a kid in a wheelchair goes over a cliff and a little alien pops up. And it's and it's like the same same bit there. And Conan always like played into it like he was being shocked, even though you're like, at a certain point, he has to expect it. But then he but he does a whole thing on like the podcast where he sets it up. He sets up a fake podcast he has, and he plays a clip, and because a podcast is an audio medium, it's Conan O'Brien's legitimately caught off guard. So, I guess I, I recommend can watch up that clip. It's like Paul Rudd appears on Conan's thing. Um, w- Watch compilations of all of them, honestly, because the clip is always funny. Sometimes he finds different thing things for it, like when he shows up to be Ant-Man, and they're like, Marvel literally told me I'm not allowed to do it, but he still managed to just get it through by editing Ant-Man into the clip from the movie. <laughs> like, it's, there's always a new angle. It's always funny. Just go check that out, especially if you want to hear Conan O'Brien just shouting. He's like, you can't do that. It's a podcast. It's a visual joke. And Paul Rudd going, yeah, no, I know. Like, it just doesn't work after he's already done it. Like, it's... Oh, Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh man, but um, also, like, uh, this was, uh, for us, our listeners out there, this was not intentional, but uh, Gary Oldman is the villain in The Fifth Element. Um, I, I, that was not intentional. I, I did not, that was not a, not a planned thing, nor did I realize that until oh, just yeah. looking up it now. Oh yeah, and watch the Fifth Element. It's fun. Um, okay, but it is funny that yeah, he is also the villain in that. Um, oh, yeah, Gary Oldman. He's been the villain yeah. a lot in life and in like <laughs> and in movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But that but that takes us to the plug section of our yeah. show. What do you got to plug um, this yeah. week? Yeah. Um, so uh, my Twitter is at uh, gak gak. G H A K G H A K 
And in my bio of that, I have a link tree that has all of my links. So to my Instagram, to my TikTok, to whatever I put on there. Probably not going to put my my Tumblr because um, that is a, a time capsule for me and me alone. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, for me, you can find me on yeah, Twitter at Like a Wolverine. You can find me on Letterbox, also on Like a Wolverine, where you can read reviews of such things as Face Off and other films. I am. Hold on. Just, just pull, pulling stuff. Our theme song is by Matt Samard with some Ben stuff. I finally remembered to plug his SoundCloud after promising him that I would start doing that uh, weeks ago. Yeah, if you like the theme for the show and want to hear stuff in a similar vein that doesn't have a Dracula voice mixed into it, you can find him at soundcloud.com slash minimakesmusic. Ben Ben does our artwork. It is great. Thank Thank you you. again, Ben. Um, Yeah. We are hosted on Friendly Mush. There's other cool podcasts there. I am getting better at remembering to mention them. Um, It's, yeah. You can find the show on Twitter at GoldPopcornPod. You can find us on our very seldom used Instagram page. I'll update it again at some point. It, it's final season. I'm busy at Pass the Golden Popcorn. You can email us at PassTheGoldenPopcorn at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, get us to listen. Um, and yeah, all that's left to do is to talk about what's coming up next week. So... For Best Villain, 1999, the nominees are Brad Dorif, Bride of Chucky, Jet Li, Lethal Weapon 4, Rose McGowan, Jawbreaker, and the winners in a, in a first, the winners of 1999, Best Villain, are Matt Dillon, There's Something About Mary, and Stephen Dorf, Blade. That's right. It's a tie. <laughs> um, hey, what an what an odd event! And also, I'm finally. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. We finally get uh, some lethal weapon closure. Um, <laughs> I know you, past the golden popcorn fans, after hearing our lethal weapon three hot takes, finally get to uh, finally get to us to expand upon that. Um, <laughs> lethal weapon four is wild. It's it starts off with like just it's in a crazy set piece after crazy set piece it starts off with them finding a guy who's just walking around the streets with a flamethrower it's like a boat sinks yeah. it's just... oh, man. and i have not watched um the bride of i've not watched any of the chucky movies since um like i was a kid and they were so scary um to me <laughs> Uh, I remember Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky being actually, like, really goofy and, like, not scary at all. Um, yeah, I'm like, if you found Bride of Chucky scary as a listen, kid... Listen, <laughs> like, when you're a kid, a movie... Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's initially yeah, like, scary. Yeah, thought of, like, toys, <laughs> cu- toys being alive and killing you is not... It's not fun. It's not a fun thing. Um, <laughs> I didn't like it at all. But uh, I'm hopefully I now get to face my fears then also i get to watch uh, yeah, blade so... that's gonna be awesome yeah blade 
So yeah, it'll be a fun episode, so tune in next week for that. Um, Until then, keep passing the golden popcorn, and just remember, there is no way they were ever going to possibly both fit on the door, and stealing a baby is bad under any circumstance. (laughs) I don't know if I agree with the baby thing, but I agree with the door thing. Goodbye, everyone. There is um, nothing funny at the end of of, uh, this podcast. I'm just editing it right now. Uh, But I did want to share that a few nights ago I had a dream that there was like a fifth Spy Kids movie on like Netflix. And it was sort of like a, it was like not like real, it was like what the new iCarly is sort of. And uh, it wasn't even that interesting. I remember it like dealt with, it 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 kind of dealt with like high level quote unquote high level concepts like um inception and tenant um but the most interesting part is that i believe it existed till about an like for about an hour after i woke up to the point where i was like oh i should marathon the spy kids movies um to figure out how like you know how they stack up in because in my dream i really like the fifth one that's it i just I, I'm sorry if I bring this up in the next podcast and then you essentially get to hear this two weeks in a row. Um, bye. <laughs>